let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, we are nearing the end of the year. And as we reflect on stories that kept coming back over the past few months, the DC Housing Authority's troubles are near the top of the list, unfortunately. So I'm here with lead producer Priyanka Tilvey and Mitch Riles from Washington City Paper to talk about all of that. Plus, we're dreaming of new uses for the RFK Stadium space. It's finally getting ready for demolition. Today is Friday, December 16th, 2022. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. Mitch Riles, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So your paper and you have been doing a bunch of reporting on DCHA, which is, for people who don't know, it's a DC housing authority. It's the agency that runs the city's public housing. And it has a pretty cruddy year, or I should say its tenants have had a pretty cruddy year for several years, probably. There was a federal audit released that was pretty damning. And now there is some debate about where do we go from here. I want to have you walk us through that. But like before that, tell me this. For people who don't live in public housing, why is this like a story that's actually a big deal about their government? The public housing and tenants who receive uh, voucher subsidies, you're right, have had uh, a credit year, certainly. And I think several credit years, this agency has been in trouble for some time. They are responsible for providing housing for the lowest income folks in our city. And the fact that this agency is failing essentially at doing that, you know, obviously affects those folks, but it also speaks to a failure of the directors of this agency and of the board to to effectively manage the money they get from the federal government and the local government actually also contributes millions of dollars or has over the past two or three years. I think they've given DCHA I want to say $50 million maybe a year for the past two or three. So it's a big deal. That's taxpayer money, local taxpayer money that's going to the housing authority. Well, yeah. And I mean, like the fact that this has been an issue for how many years has this been an issue? It's been an issue really since I've been reporting in D.C. I haven't been reporting on it my entire time here. I got here in 2018. It's been a systemic um, Right. So like for, for a really, really long time. And so, I mean, that kind of just says that I feel like that comes back to Bowser. I feel like this is on Bowser. Uh, certainly, uh, Mayor Bowser has been in office for eight years. She has she's had ample opportunity to fix the housing authority, and it is still broken. Can we? Can you walk us through the nature of this brokenness? There was a pretty damning federal audit of this agency. What did it find? It basically found that they are doing they are not doing almost anything right. I mean, every almost every aspect of their business they're failing at. Um, Give us the lowlights. Lowlights. Oh, boy. (laughs) They're not maintaining the public housing stock. So like the actual apartment buildings that that their tenants live in, they're 
uh, infested with rodents and mice and there's mold and lead in those units that hasn't been addressed for years. The wait list for a voucher in DC is closed and has been for years. And it is, I believe, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people long. So there are people who signed up, you know, in 2005, 2006 for a voucher and have just been waiting. I mean, it's so and just long. to be clear, the vouchers are like you get a voucher to be able to rent privately owned uh, unit somewhere. Correct. A voucher is the government says we'll pay X amount of money of this rent and the voucher holder takes it to a landlord and says, I can pay this much rent. And then the voucher holder makes up the difference. So it, it's help with rent essentially for folks who need it. But that waitlist has been closed. I mean, they are giving out new vouchers. They're eating into the waitlist now, but it's been an issue for a long time. Have people been harmed, injured, uh, otherwise harmed? By these bad conditions? Uh, yes, certainly. I, I, you know, young children living in units with lead, for example, that has profound effects on their uh, respiratory and cognitive development. So, Priyanka was saying it's on the mayor. Um, can you explain the governance? Because it's not quite like a direct line. There's a board of directors and so on. How right. does uh, you know we have a democracy? How do we, the citizens, <laughs> ultimately shape? the way this agency runs. Right. So it's a quasi-independent agency is how I think most folks describe it. There is an executive director who is hired by a board of commissioners. There are currently 13 commissioners that sit on the board. The mayor has the legal requirement to appoint six of those members. And in addition to that, the deputy mayor for planning and economic development, whoever sits in that seat, has a seat on the board as an ex officio. So that is currently John Felcecchio, who is who also, also appointed by the mayor, who is also who, so the dem, that dem head is appointed by the mayor. Yes. But Felcecchio also happens to serve as her chief of staff. So he's essentially her right hand person. So Bowser gets seven people on this 13 member board, which is a majority. So any priority that the mayor has uh, for this board generally passes. Other constituencies have spots on the board. For example, the public housing tenants can elect three commissioners. Uh, there is a representative for a voucher for the voucher constituency. And if you watch as many DCHA board meetings as I do, it's, it becomes very obvious <laughs> that there are two sides on this board. One side is the mayor's appointees who generally get their way. They vote in block. And then there's the side for the legal so what do these sides disagree about? Uh, they disagree about how to rehabilitate the housing, what to do with it. There's a push of late to privatize public housing through a program that HUD has where instead of the housing authority owning and operating all, all of a building, they will uh, bring in private consultants and developers to help them do that and pay for that and then run the building. This report, does it give some some evidence for that argument that, that it would be better if it was a private company that was running it? No, I don't think the report really gives that evidence that, there, that it would be better to do that. Although I think some people are of the mind that, so DCHA also gets money from the federal government, though Congress has more and more over the years just given less and less money to housing authorities in general. And so one way to kind of make up for the, those that loss revenue, those lost funds, is to turn to the, the private market. Okay, so, wait, so I know that there's a push, like 
Bowser and then Chairman Phil Mendelssohn are saying that they are wanting to reconfigure this whole board and bring it down to like, what, nine people is the latest proposal. Would that be, again, mostly mayoral appointees? Yes. So recently there's been a proposal that's right from Bowser and Mendelssohn to revamp this board with some emergency legislation that will be up for a vote next week. Um, there's been several iterations of the legislation. It's changed quite quickly over the last week or so. I believe the last I checked, the it would be up to nine members. As of Wednesday, council members Alyssa Silverman and Brooke Pinto introduced legislation of their own that would reconfigure the board, but it also has several other reforms for the agency itself. Wait, so you reported, I mean, this, so this board, as it is now at least, seems not to be treating the situation like a crisis. You reported that they gave bonuses, like big bonuses, after this like de- devastating <laughs> articulation of their failures. What happened there? Right. So it was actually, it was the current executive director, Brenda Donald, was responsible for giving those bonuses. That was, I think, a bit of a surprise to some of the board members, actually, when they found out about that. But so do, do, they, do they not have to approve the bonuses? No, they don't. That's That was up to the executive director, who the optics of that certainly look bad on the heels of a scathing audit that says this agency is failing in just about everything it does. And then the executives get bonuses. I believe some were as high as $20,000. Donald has defended her decision saying that they set goals at the beginning of the year and benchmarks and bonuses were based on whether or not her people met those benchmarks. I'm just so curious about how things get to this point. One of their jobs is to maintain a wait list and they're not really doing that very efficiently, not giving out vouchers very efficiently, not maintaining the public housing that people are living in. Like, what are they doing? Are they doing anything right? How do things devolve to this extent? I'll take a line from the director now. She repeatedly says things didn't get this way overnight and she's not going to be able to fix them overnight, which I think is probably generally true, which is to say a, a lot of things have contributed to the the state that the housing authority is currently in. I think it's fair to lay some of the blame at the mayor's feet. She has been in office for eight years and has had you know, at least some authority to weigh in and try and fix the agency. I think um, I think the governance of the board is probably a little bit responsible. The board members are responsible, and certainly the mayor appoints most of the members. Usually when something goes really wrong, heads roll. Is anyone going to lose a job over this? That That's hard to say. Some of the board members are at risk of losing their positions on the board if this bill passes and the, the board is essentially blown up and new members are installed. I don't think that Brenda Donald will lose her job. Her contract will expire next, I believe, September, at which point uh, they'll have to hire somebody else. Should she lose her job? You've been covering this for a while. I, I don't know that that's for me to say necessarily. Oh, come on. It's CityCast. You can say anything you want. <laughs> In the HUD report, the auditors pointed out that And this was a criticism of Brenda Donald when she was first hired. She has basically no affordable housing or housing or development or real estate experience. She came from the most immediately from CFSA, the Child and Family Services Agency, and has worked sort of in that kind of world in her career. But she's seen as a, you know, a good manager of people. And so that's why I think Bowser has tried to install her or has installed her in the director's seat. but So she has no experience, and some are of the mind that it would be better, for some, better if someone 
who knew what the hell they were doing as far as uh, development and real estate and affordable housing was sitting in that chair. What a strange concept. <laughs> I was just thinking earlier, Mike kind of brought this up about when he was asking about governance as voters, Washingtonians, people that just live here who are seeing all of this happen and are like, this is crazy. Like this situation just keeps getting worse and worse and no one seems to be doing anything concrete about it. Is there anything that we can do even when voting? Is there any way to vote in a way that encourages this problem to get fixed? There is one council member who has had and currently has the most direct oversight over the housing authority, and that is Anita Bonds. She was just reelected to another four years. So you're going to have to wait a little bit if you're looking to take voting action. If you're just <laughs> if you're dissatisfied with the housing authority and her oversight of it, it's, you're going to have to wait a little bit. Well, wait a minute. I mean, this was known before the election, right? And the person who up there who had been the, the member of the council had been the most aggressive in oversight of it was Alyssa Silverman, the mm -hmm. member who was officially in charge of it and had been in charge of the committee overseeing it and had been accused of not being especially aggressive on oversight was Anita Bonds. Silverman was unelected and Bonds was reelected. I think there's not an indication that a lot of voters are making this their top priority. It would certainly appear that way or be they don't quite understand the dynamics on the council. I don't really have a good explanation for that, but that's right. Can I ask you, you've been watching this for a while, what would you do if you could sort of set up an ideal governance and empower someone to make some changes? What do you think it was called for? Mm, that's a good question. As a constituent, I think, you know, calling your council people and letting them know how you feel about it, I think that can make a difference. There's currently two bills, as we've talked about, on the table that the council will consider at its meeting next Tuesday. And I think hearing from voters, hearing from their constituents on those issues would is definitely something someone can do. As far as how the board is actually structured, I know that just from observing board meetings for the past year and a half, two years, it, it's obvious to me that the mayor's appointees vote basically as a block and they have the majority. It's almost impossible to penetrate that. And so any any priority that the mayor and the director have generally passes. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in D.C. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow! There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. All right. So speaking of crumbling things. <laughs> let's talk for a second. What a dark transition. Uh, let's talk for a second about RFK Stadium. This is the born DC Stadium in the early 60s, renamed after Robert F. Kennedy, was the longtime home of the local football team, was also the home of the Washington Senators, and then briefly when they just got started, the Nats. 
It is on federal land. It's city-owned. And it's been more or less unoccupied since all the teams moved to newer and shinier stadiums. They're going to demolish the place at some point next year. It's been uh, sitting more or less unused for a while now. If you're an obsessive fan, you can go buy some of those orange seats online. (laughs) You could put them in your own home if you want. I was sort of interested in this, like both because I'm a you know old DC guy, and I went to a, the, my first uh, then Redskins game when I was six, and uh, I had an accident. There was a too long a line for the bathroom. Oh, um, it was <laughs> so I had like not, not necessarily sweet memories. Uh, um, Formative um, though. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, look, the team was good there, and that it was sort of a crazy rickety place. And when the crowds got really excited, the stands seemed to shake and. It was uh, in the middle of like, a row house neighborhood. Sports people tend towards like weird, like veneration of physical places. So there's like some nostalgia associated with that and with, I don't know, people who saw the Grateful Dead there or something. Mm-hmm. The big question that I think is going to be like really top of the radar in the city for the next couple of years is what is going to happen to that space now? And as you may have heard, and as you may have intuited from what Mitch was talking about with housing vouchers, housing in Washington is rather pricey and in short supply. So this is going to be a rare moment when there's like a wide open, big bunch of space in D.C. So what happens to it? There's people who want a new stadium there because I think there's a political elite and business types who would like nothing more than to have the football team come back since they don't seem to like their joint in Maryland anymore. Mm. But you can also squint and imagine like a whole new neighborhood there with like lots of dense housing and stuff to do and movies and parks. And this is a moment when we can kind of blue sky it. What's out there that you all have heard about that could be cool? And then if you had your druthers, what would we put there? I saw something about an indoor public pool, which I think would be nice. I really enjoy the public pools in the city. Most of them are outdoors. Mm. Having one that's indoors that you could use year round would be awesome. That'd be a big pool. Well, okay. <laughs> pool is one part of it. Maybe a water park uh, and some slides. In yeah. There. Oh, a water park would be really fun. We don't have any water parks in city limits, mm-hmm. limits do we? Mm-hmm. That'd be great. Yeah, a pool a pool would be nice. I, certainly some of the, the proposals are for housing. Like we've obviously been talking about uh, the need for housing. Um, a pool community center, kind of like recreation center sort of a thing. They just opened those new, the fields at RFK, I think they're called, like the new really great AstroTurf fields, right? Mm. Kind of below or leading up to the river there by the stadium where I play softball every Sunday. Some kind of, you know, complex I think would be awesome. In addition to housing, we need housing too. But if you look there, right, or if you look at a picture from above, because it's not just the stadium, right? That's not that big. It's but there's, you know, lot, yeah. there's acres and acres of parking lots because it's an old-fashioned stadium. There is a metro there, but it was the stadium predated the metro, and the expectation for a long time was people would drive in. There's land down to the river. It's a lot of space. Like you could put in like multiple, multiple, multiple city blocks of stuff. I live in a upper northwest, and it's like a, you know, people would really like to have more stuff to walk to even around here in a, in a very comfortable neighborhood. And there's the reason that not a lot of stuff opens is there's not a lot of action during the day because there's not a whole lot of office kind of work. So if you're a restaurant, you're going to have to lean entirely on your nighttime business. I think like having, and if you think of where RFK 
is. It's so close to the Capitol. Having like a dense area that has like offices as well as housing, that could actually like open up like a whole new, like a whole new downtown. New the same way but our area. houses are our offices now. Well, this is true, but but in theory, not forever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, because that's the whole problem with downtown, right? Where they're taking office buildings and making them residential. So maybe really leaning into the housing aspect and maybe like co-working spaces, and then a bunch of restaurants and shops, and I'm still going to stick with that pool because I think that'd be fun, could be the way to go. And you'd have like a whole new neighborhood. You know, it's weird. If you look at like, if you read like old stuff from news accounts from D.C. in the 60s, they talk about like the new downtown. And by that, they meant, you know, mo- the core of what was considered downtown was what we now call Penn Quarter. And all the stuff like Farragut Square, K Street, the stuff you know, to the west of there, that was all kind of 50s and 60s. And so like the kind of the core of the office action moved at that point to the West. And again, there's no reason like the core of stuff wouldn't move again. And if you look at where that is, it's pretty convenient. And I take your point about there not being as many offices, but like people still got to go to the podiatrist or like the, you know, like the draw up a will or something. Right. Like there still is some stuff we got to do. And it'd be, I don't know, it'd be great to have like a, a new core too. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, as I mentioned, I live, you know, stone's throw really from from RFK. That's on my running route. So I, that would be most convenient for me. Yeah, some kind of mixed use offices, shops, uh, retail, maybe some new restaurants over there. That'd be great. But wait, Mitch, you, you watch this. Is the fix in for like a, a stadium complex there? Not as far as I can tell. I mean, the latest reporting on that is I think Bowser and the chairman are kind of uh, uh, at a bit of a stalemate over how what to do with that land. And until they can figure it out, Eleanor Holmes Norton is kind of given the you know shrug emoji. I don't know what do you want me to do with this federally owned <laughs> land so you guys can play nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, that also then comes back down to Dan Snyder and what happens with Washington commanders, right? I think there's certainly some hesitance on the parts of elected leaders to get into any kind of business or throw Dan Snyder any bones. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, what about like a amphitheater? I know they're, they're trying to open, reopen the one in, in Rock Creek Carter Park. Barron. Yeah, Carter Barron. Yeah. I don't know. Give us one down here in Northeast. Or maybe is that Southeast technically down by this? Depends what side of the street you're on. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. <laughs> But I, yeah, I think another amphitheater would be cool. They've had several concerts down there, like in the in the parking lots, including there was like a what's the kind of music like EDM festival going on for a few days, and it was making my walls rattle. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> if you put housing and an EDM concert down there, I feel like people will revolt. Yeah, we'll probably have to choose one of those, but that's just an idea. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a good one. All right. Well, that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Priyanka, it's great to have you as always. Thank you. And Mitch Riles from Washington City Paper, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producers are Meg Dalton and Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, erect a giant billboard at the RFK site and tell everyone about it. We'll be back on Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.